let us start with the shanti mantra om bhadram karne vishrinuyama deva bhadram pashye maksha bhirya jatra sthirai rangai stushtvagam sastano bhihi vyashema devahitai yadayo swastina indro vridhashrava स्वस्तिना पूषा विश्ववेदाह स्वस्तिनस्ताक्षो अरिष्टनेमिहि स्वस्तिनो बृहस्पतिर्दधातु ओम शांति 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 सो वी आर स्टडीइंग द मांडुक्य कारिका एंड इन द थर्ड चैप्टर ऑफ द मांडुक्य कारिका in the third chapter is called Advaita Prakarana, the chapter on non-duality. You remember the first chapter included the Upanishad itself and the teaching that we are the pure consciousness beyond the waker, dreamer and deep sleeper. This was given in the first chapter with the Upanishad and Gaurapada's own verses. In the second chapter, Vaitatya Prakarana, the falsity of the world which we experience, that, um, that it is not essentially real. That was explained with the help of reasoning. Second chapter. The third chapter, the non-duality of the self, that the ultimate reality is non-dual, advaitam. This is being taught with the help of reasoning. And right now what's happening is, from 31st verse onwards, till now it's going on now, the topic is no mind. After all the teaching is given, Gaurapada says ultimately non-duality boils down to what is it at the level of the mind because our problems are really at the level of the mind. So non-duality at the level of the mind is called um, no mind. What has he been telling us? No mind does not mean for going off to sleep. No mind does not mean being in samadhi. No mind means uh, by atma satya anubodhena, by the realization of the the truth about the self, that I am Brahman, I am the Turiya. By the realiza realization of that, spiritualizing the mind. Uh, so, uh, overcoming the troublesome mind, the problematic mind, the worldly mind, by the mind which is, uh, which is, which is enlightened. So, that is uh, Gaurapada's version of no mind. So, no mind does not mean destroying the mind, does not mean not thinking. You may think as much as you want or you may not think at all, but you are not the mind. A deeper meaning of this would be that everything is realized to be Brahman, including the mind itself. So the world is Brahman, actually. The world is not the world, but it is Brahman. The body is also not the body, but it is Brahman. The mind is also not the mind, but it is actually Brahman. This is the realization of the enlightened person. And hence it's not a problem anymore. If all is Brahman and I am that Brahman, where is the problem? With whom is the problem? So this is what is going on now. And we saw verse number 36 last time, I think. That is a very powerful and beautiful verse. You remember in the Upanishad, the Mandukya Upanishad is the smallest of all the Upanishads with only 12 mantras. And in the 12 mantras, the seventh one is the most powerful one. I mean, I regard it as the most powerful mantra in the entire Vedantic 
corpus. So the seventh mantra, what it says, uh, that is sort of summarized in this verse. This is the 36th verse of the third chapter. We saw it last time. Ajam manidram asvapnam anamakam marupakam sakrid vibhatam sarvagyam nobachara kathanchana. What does it mean? What do you realize when you, re- when you become enlightened? The realization is, I am this. Ajam, the unborn. Anidram, beyond, beyond uh, uh, deep sleep. Aswapnam, beyond the dream state. The, these three together, they mean, Ajam literally means, what is born? The physical body is born. So if I am not the born, then the phys- I am not the physical body. I am not the waking self. Aswapnam, the, the beyond the dream or, or no dream. That means, where is dreams? Dreams are in the mind. So I am not the dream self either. Taijasa, the dreamer. I am not that either. Anidram, the, the deep sleep self. The deep sleep self, do you remember the name? Pragya. I am not that either. Now, very interesting that... Uh, Our entire range of experience is waking, dreaming, deep sleep. And if there are any other states of the mind you can conceive of, coma or ecstatic states or high on drugs or whatever, they are all included in in this entire range. And in each of these experiences, whatever we consider ourselves to be the self, I am not that, as he is saying. That's what we realized. I am not that. Ajam, Anidram. Aswapnam. So, uh, I am none of them. Then what am I? Not the waker, not the dreamer, not the deep sleeper. Then I am the fourth. Turiya, the fourth. And this is Anamakam Arupakam. That Turiyam, the fourth, is beyond name and form. So, name and form is shorthand for Maya. The entirety of this transactional world is called name and form. So, all of this is Turiya plus name and form. Durya itself, our real nature, is beyond name and form or beyond Maya. If you look at it a little deeper, the terms they used, Ajam, Aswapnam, Anidram. Ajam, the unborn, refers to, when it says, I am the unborn, that means I cannot be the waker or the waker's world, this world. Uh, So this is the physical level, the gross level. I am not the gross aspect of this Abdi Atman. I am not this Thula Atma. Then when it says Aswapnam, it means subtle. Dreams are at the, at the subtle level, at the mind. So I am not the subtle uh, level of the self also. The, the, the world of the mind and its projections. I am not that either. Anidram, where the mind finally, finally is resolved in deep sleep. The blankness of deep sleep. That's another experience we have. I am not even that. So that is the causal level. So the, the Turiya, the real self, is not the gross level, Sthula Atma, is not the subtle level, the Sukshma Atma, is not the causal level also, the Karana Atma. Beyond the Sthula Sukshma Karana is the Turiya, the, the real self. And notice, anapa, Anamakam Arupakam, beyond name and form. All, um, see the entire waking universe and you the waker together are represented by, do you remember Om? Yes. Uh, the first letter of Om. 
The entire subtle universe, your universe of dreams, the mental, the subtle level, whatever is going on in the mind now, mind, intellect, memory, that is represented by the letter U. And the deep sleep, where everything is withdrawn, the causal level is represented by the letter Ma. So if you put them together, A, U, Ma, Om, the whole, the Om represents the gross, subtle and causal. The entirety of what we experience as the universe. The whole thing is, is Om. Om just the Om represents the whole thing. And we're saying, I am not that. I am what is beyond the Om. The silence beyond the Om. The silence beyond the Om represents Turiya. I'll come to you. So Anamakam. Om itself in all the sounds are in, encapsulated in Om. And with those sounds, all words are made. So all language in a way is encapsulated in Om. Om represents all language and Om represents the entire universe. Gross, subtle, causal. Don't look at me as if it's something new. We did it all <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> it's understandable if you have forgotten. But that is the meaning of Om. And the real meaning of Om is after Om. The silence after Om. Which represents Turiya, the pure consciousness. So Anamakam, beyond names. And all the forms, gross, subtle, causal, arupakam, beyond all these forms, is the Turiya, the pure consciousness. Yes. They say Om Ityeka Aksharam Brahma. Hmm. Not they say. Not Upanishad, say. Upanishad so says. Who hmm. comes first, the Gayatri Mantra or the Mandukya Upanishad? Gayatri Mantra or the Mandukya Upanishad. Who comes first in what sense? Both but are Vedic. Both are Vedic. But yes. Gayatri Mantra says Om Bhuvaswa Om. Hmm. So it says like Om is everything. Hmm. Now Mandukya says something is there left out after Om. No, no, Mandukya does not say something is left out after Om. This Turiya is not left out after Om. Om includes the silence after the Om. Which, which represents Turiya. So it's consistent with Gayatri. Absolutely. It, it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. When Gayatri says Bhuvaswa, the three words and Om speaks about the gross, the subtle and the causal, all three are within Maya. And all of it is Om. And what is Om? Beyond the Maya, the silence which represents pure consciousness, Brahman, that is also Om. So Brahman is all of this. In what way? A snake is mistaken, a rope is mistaken as a snake. Alright? Now, the rope is not a snake. And yet, the snake is none other than the rope. Can you follow this? Practically it is so. The rope in itself is not a snake. But that snake which you saw is nothing other than the rope itself. Similarly, Brahman is not the world. But this world which we experience is nothing other than Brahman. So first of all, Turiya has to be understood. The fourth has to be understood as apart from waker, dreamer, deep sleeper, pure consciousness. Having understood that, then you realize it is this pure consciousness alone which appears as the waker and the waker's world. A. Uh, dreamer and the dream world. U. And deep sleeper and the deep sleep merged darkness. M. Mm. So it is from that silence alone Om emerges. So the whole thing is Om. But if you at the beginning if you say everything is Om, you'll think, oh, so that brown stone is Om and this man is Om, that woman is Om. Uh, that is, all of this is Brahman, not in this way, not in this way. If you say the snake is rope, 
You say, oh, that snake. That means the rope must be like, like a snake. You know, like a rope is like a rattlesnake or something. No, no, the snake is not. The rope is. After understanding that, then only are you entitled to say the rope alone appears as the snake. World is not. Brahman is. After that, you are entitled to say Brahman alone is the entire world. First, neti neti. Waker, dreamer and deep sleeper, you are not. You are the Turiya. When you realize you are the Turiya, when you realize you are the Turiya, then only you are entitled to say, you, that Turiya alone is the waker, dreamer, deep sleeper. So it's not that there are four people. There's a waker and a dreamer and a deep sleeper and the Turiya and you need four ID cards from now on. No. <laughs> There's only one. There's you. There's the real you and the apparent you. The apparent you comes in three flavors. The waker, dreamer and deep sleeper. But it's always the real you. You are, you are that all the time. The Turiya. Yes. The mind is matter. But I am attached to super mind. Turiya. Then, in that case, Gaudapada. Please confine yourself. Yeah, okay. Please confine so yourself to matter, terms used here. Yes. Is as matter I but at the same time, I am the Brahman. I am also Superman. Is Superman ever used Superman, here? No, they never used. But, but it's not a bad bad word. In fact, when I think about it, um, no mind could easily be understood as Superman also. Yeah. Thanks. Yes. Does Om sound all the time? Mystics hear it all the time. We have a Swami who would hear it all the time. The real Om. It's called the unstruck sound. Anahata Dhvani. All sounds are struck. Yeah. Struck. But unstruck sound is, it's a vibration which goes on without vibration. So it's called, but it mystics hear it. We had one Swami, uh, Swami Shantanandaji who could hear it. And he actually asked um, the Holy Mother whether it was a mistake he was making or is it real. And the Holy Mother uh, verified. She said, yes, my son, what you're hearing is right. And I have not met him, but the Swamis who have met him, he, would, he was very childlike. And he was a Jivan Mukta, enlightened person. Um, so there, I heard some stories about it. For example, he would sometimes say to close, but the monks who were close to him, he would say, do you hear it? Do you hear it there? The others would go, what? <laughs> no? <laughs> yeah. I, I always wanted to hear the church bells without the strict. Striking the striking part, part of it. Yeah. So one meditation is done, uh, the meditation on the bell. So that's like Om. So when you sound the bell and the sound fades away. Yeah. Now if you put your mind to it, mind to it means literally merge your mind in the sound and let the mind fade away with the sound, trail away. At one time you will find the sound is no longer an external sound, it's resounding in your mind. And with that, and that also diminishes and dies away, and the mind falls silent. It will come back again because we are not trained, but it's a good way to do it. So when the, the bowls, for example, uh, in Tibetan or Buddhist meditation, when they strike the bowl, there's a, there's a vibration which dies away. Yeah. That's a good way of meditating. But you can, you can simulate the same effect by chanting Om. Uh, Om. You can follow it back and merge the mind in. In its merged state, 
And when, you, when the mind merges, absolutely still and quiet, there, merge into it, dive into it with the last enquiry, who or what is watching the quietness of the mind? There the watcher becomes very clear. Clear to whom? Clear to itself. But that's a yogic way. Gaurapada would not approve. Gaurapada says, be philosophical, find it out here. No mind. While thinking, I am not thinking. While talking, I am not talking. While seeing, I am not seeing. And while eating, I am not eating. <laughs> would be so nice. <laughs> is, it, is it required that a womb is constructed by Gaurapada? Well, he could have explained all this without a womb. No, the Om is in the Upanishad itself. So the Om of the Upanishad hmm. is exactly the same as the Om that Gaurapada is saying. Because there is an Om which says two times inhalation, four times kumbham, one time release. Uh, mm. So that's also an Om. So is it like a cycle which is invented before and he's taking a ride on the cycle? No, it, it predates Gaurapada. Oh, om. om predates Gaurapada, so of what course. what is Om without Gaurapada's description of Om? Just the sound? No, is it the Gayatri Om? what Gaudapada is describing is uh, found in the Mandukya Upanishad. The highest description or explanation of Om is found in the Mandukya Upanishad. What you are talking about, uh, connecting it with the breath, um, two breaths in, four breaths hold, uh, uh, so, uh, and uh, Kumbhakan, those are, I mean, I would say, um, barely kindergarten. But they we, came before? They came much, much, much later. Oh, okay. uh, the, all those, they are exercises. See, if this is difficult, the teachers would say, meditate. If that is difficult, then uh, bhakti practices are given. If that is difficult, go to the yoga studio, do the stretching, and do the four, two in, four hold, <laughs> release. So, um, uh, let it be. Stay at this level. Yeah. Okay. I did. I did. No, you don't press the emphasis on them. But I did now for the purposes of meditation. Yeah. Krishnamurti, Jiddu Krishnamurti would say, from the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> I don't agree with his, uh, his, he used to be sarcastic. That's not necessary. Because pranayama is a whole big science in itself. But pranayama is at the physical level. This is uh, the top of the Everest. There's nothing beyond. Beyond this is only silence. Beyond this is only enlightenment. This is the last thing that can be said. So don't drag it down. Alright. Then, this one beyond name and form. What is it like? Sakrit Vibhatam. We saw last time Sakrit Vibhatam means which flashes eternally as, as pure consciousness. Which is shining eternally as pure consciousness. Sarvagyam. Sarvagyam normally means all-knowing, but here it does not mean all-knowing. Here it means sarvascha gyascha. Gya means consciousness. It is consciousness and sarva, it is also everything in the form of existence or pure being. Pure being. You know, the Turiya itself is the waker, dreamer, deep sleeper. In the first step we say, I am not the waker, not the dreamer, not the deep sleeper. I am the background consciousness Turiya. After that we say, the Turiya itself is waker, dreamer, deep sleeper. What is the example? I have given it often, the gold and the ornaments. There is a bangle, there is a necklace, and there is a um, uh, maybe a tiara or something. And then somebody tells you the reality is gold. Now gold is not a bangle. 
Gold in itself is not a necklace. Gold in itself is not a tiara. When you understand what gold is, after understanding that, then you realize that the bangle and the tiara and the necklace are nothing but gold. Similarly, realizing your nature as pure consciousness is the Turiya, then you look back. It is that Turiya which with the waking mind and the waking body in this world is, is called the waker, Vishwa. It is that when you fall asleep, the mind falls asleep, that Turiya alone becomes the dreamer, Taijasa. That Turiya alone becomes the deep sleeper, Pragya. And then again wakes up. So, yeah, so this is it. That is Sakrit Vibhatam, pure consciousness, Sarvagyam. Consciousness and all that is presented to consciousness. All of that is also Turiya, all of this. No Pachara Kathanjana. And there are no transactions here. At the level of Turiya, no giving and taking, no walking and talking, no eating and drinking. From consciousness is consciousness alone. And yet all of it goes on at the level, Vyavaharika level. At the transactional level, your life goes on as it is. Right? You can wear the necklace at your, on your neck and the bangle on your wrist and the tiara on your head. And yet you can say from the point of view of gold, nothing is happening. Gold is just gold. Right? So this is, this is no mind. This is no mind. When your mind is suffused with this realization, Aham Turiyasmi, Aham Brahmasmi. I am this Brahman, then, then mind becomes no mind. This is what he is dis discussing now. Then next, 37. Sarva bhilapa vigata Sarva bhilapa vigata Sarva chinta samuthitaha Sarva chinta samuthitaha Suprashanta Sakrit Jyoti Suprashanta Sakrit Jyoti Samadhi Rachalobhayaha Samadhi Rachalobhayaha Sarva Bhilapa Vigata Beyond all language Sarva Chinta Samuthita Beyond all thought Suprashanta Forever serene Sakrit Jyoti eternally, Eternal Consciousness or, or Pure Consciousness Samadhi. Here Samadhi means the no-mind itself. Uh, achala, unchanging, never leaves its state. Abhaya, beyond all fear. So this is a very beautiful description of no-mind. What is no-mind? Sarva, sarva abhilapa vigata sarva chinta samuthita. When it says beyond all speech, by the organ of speech, walk, all sense organs and motor organs are represented. So, by you, it is often a technique in Sanskrit. They will mention one. Um, pratyaksha. The Sanskrit word pratyaksha means direct perception. But literally it means that which is presented to the eyes. But it's not just uh, eyes. Uh, aksha, the word aksha means eyes. But it also means ears by extension. By extension. Ears, nose, skin, um, uh, taste, touch, all of this, tongue and skin, all of them, uh, all the five senses are meant by the, the knowledge by the five senses is referred to by the word pratyaksha, though literally it means presented to the eyes. Similarly, um, here, by the word beyond speech, beyond the activities of all organs. So, beyond the eyes, beyond the nose, uh, ears, skin, tongue, beyond hands, feet. 
So it's not something that it means it's not something that you see or hear or smell or taste or touch. It's not something you can walk to. What pilgrimage can I undertake to find the, this great Turiya Devata? You cannot walk to it. It's not something that you grasp. So it's not something you can express by words. So none of the indriyas, the ten dasha indriya, the ten indriyas, the ten organs of sense and action, jnana indriya, karma indriya, sense and action, none of them can objectify the turiya. All right, I can think about it, understand it. Sarva chinta samuttitaha, transcending all thought. It sounds cool, but what is it? It's you. Transcending does not mean out there. It's you in there. You are the one who deploys thought. You are the one who employs the ten organs. But you are not under an object for them. Neither for thoughts, nor for the ten organs. So this is Turiya. What is the nature of this Turiya? Suprashanta. Forever, because it's beyond the sense organs, beyond motor organs, beyond mind, it is therefore eternally at peace. There is no problem there. Problems are at the physical level in this world. Well, fall asleep. Dreams also have problems. They are bad dreams and nightmares. And deep sleep. No apparent problems in deep sleep. But the seed of all problems is there. It will come out, come out again the moment you come out of it. So, but this, this Turiya, beyond all three, beyond the causal, beyond the uh, subtle, beyond the gross, Beyond deep sleep, beyond uh, dreams, beyond the waking. This is beyond all suffering. Suprashanta. In the seventh mantra in Mandukya Upanishad, Shantam, Shivam. It was said Shantam. Shantam means beyond all sorrow. Sakrit Jyoti. Its nature is of pure consciousness. I, I keep translating as pure consciousness. But you know the best way of understanding it is this. It's not even pure consciousness. The closest description we can give is pure consciousness. There are many ways of um, intuiting this. Advaita Vedanta is very philosophical, but there is a system called Kashmiri Shaivism. So there, they have many ways. They have developed many ways of giving you a taste of it or a foretaste of this, uh, of this pure consciousness. There is a text called Vigyana Bhairava where there are 112 techniques of meditation. For example, one, they say, imagine you're lying down and looking up at the vast blue sky. You can, in Central Park, you can actually do it. You lie down and look up at the vast... Today, the sky was an extraordinary color today, beautiful light. Very translucent kind of um, magical light today, this morning. So you're looking up at that, the vast blue sky. Now, you're looking up at that, the vast blue sky, and now... With nothing else except the sky. Just throw your mind into it. There's nothing else except the vast blueness. Hold there. And then in a moment, dismiss that. Just let it go. What will remain is an unexpressed awareness. That which was aware of the vast blue sky. And then drop that. If you can successfully do it, the mind will plunge into samadhi. If nothing else, you'll get a taste of very extraordinarily deep peace. Yeah. So that's one technique. There are many such techniques they, they have developed. But all of them that gives you an idea of what is meant by pure consciousness. 
it's not immediate the, what is misleading about it is we think it's the awareness which we have right now it's not that it's close to that but it's not that the difference is like when you see your face in the mirror yes it's the face you're seeing in the mirror is your face but it's a reflection of your face it's not the real face what you are seeing in the mirror is a reflection of the real face it's not your real face and the real face cannot be seen what is seen is always a reflection directly you cannot see your real face so the awareness that you feel in the mind right now is like the reflected awareness so when it means pure consciousness it's not not that one but from there you can go back to it pure consciousness sacred jyoti samadhi this pure consciousness this turiya forever beyond suffering is also called samadhi here samadhi does not mean yogic samadhi here samadhi means that no mind state where you have the realization i am turiya i am brahman that is samadhi achala unchanging to distinguish it from our usual state of mind our usual state of mind always changing new thoughts and ideas come and go and then the whole thing disappears into sleep and we have a whole new set of thoughts called the dream world which seems to be the way you don't call it the dream world you don't say that ah now i have entered the dream world let me look where is my passport and uh, <laughs> no it seems to be a waking world only later upon reflection you call it a dream world and then that also disappears into deep sleep so these are the major states of the mind chalam chalam means changing but this no mind never changes it is the same in waking same in dreaming same in deep sleep because it is the turiyam abhaya what is the result of all of this you go beyond fear you go beyond suffering you go beyond fear there is no fear anymore what will you be afraid of there is nothing else other than you there is only one non dual reality that is immortal you cannot die that cannot be hurt the body can be hurt the mind can be hurt you cannot be hurt that is beyond change and yet you are right here in this world that is the beauty of it you don't have to melt the to to get the gold in the necklace or the ring or the bracelet do you have to melt the ornament down into a lump of gold let it be a bracelet let it be a ring but you know what the gold is now you know in that sense so this is again no mind these are very grand verses then one more there are two more verses dealing with the no mind 39 38 yeah 38 graho na tatra no utsarga graho na tatra na utsarga chinta yatra na vidyate chinta yatra na vidyate आत्मसंस्थम तदा ज्ञानम आत्मसंस्थम तदा ज्ञानम अजातिसमतां गतम अजातिसमतां गतम दिस बिल्डिंग अप टू अ क्लाइमैक्स व्हिच विल कम इन द 39th वर्स वेयर ही विल कंक्लूड एंड कॉल ऑल ऑफ दिस व्हाट ही हैज टॉट ही विल कॉल इट ही विल गिव इट अ नेम अस्पर्श योगा ही विल कॉल इट 
So, graho na tatra na utsargaha. There is no acceptance or taking there and no giving or releasing there. Na chinta, no thought. Yatra na vidyate. There is no thought where there is no thought. Yatra means where. Tatra, yatra is using tatra means there. Yatra means where. There, where, what? In Turiya. In Turiya. In, in, in your real nature. Graha utsarga. Graha means accepting. Utsarga means giving up or rejecting. This accepting and rejecting, give, giving and taking, this is the basic nature of vyavahara, transaction, samsara. Here everything is, this is nice, I will pursue it. This is bad, I must avoid it. Thoughts, this is called pravritti nivritti. Pravritti means moving towards, nivritti means moving away from. And it depends upon what we, our likes and dislikes. Raga dvesha. So raga dvesha, likes and dislikes. And our likes and dislikes are depending on our conditioning. Uh, and on our body-mind situation. Likes and dislikes, giving rise to thoughts of, I move towards something, something, some place, some food, some person. Away from another place, a job, a person, an activity, a state. Uh, away from that. I like to be always young, never old. There's shop forever, 21 or something. Yeah. So, always like that I will be. Graha, Utsarga, I don't want to be old. But, you know, it's strange. I'm happy to be old. Bill will say, just you wait, Swami. <laughs> don't be too happy. So, Graha, Utsarga. I, there's an attractive state. I want to be like that. There is... Um, 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 unattractive thing. But that depends on pravritti nivritti. What I am moving towards, what I am moving away from. And the pravritti and nivritti are in the mind. Moving towards, moving away from. And that is expressed in the world as graha, catching, grasping, utsarga, letting go or rejecting. The whole thing is samsara. And it is based on a delusion. The delusion is, I am this body-mind and here is a world apart from me. The way we look at it. And therefore, depending on my body-mind situation, there are certain things in the world worth getting. There are certain things in the world uh, you, one must avoid. And this is what life is. This is samsara. None of it is there in the real self. You are not... It, it makes no difference to you. If all is Brahman, then what is there for Graha Utsarga? What is there to accept? What is there to reject? Or, if all is like a dream... And you are the reality beyond this dream. In your dreams, what is really worth pursuing? Except waking up. Think about it. Really speaking, in the dream, what is worth pursuing? Waking up to the reality that is the dream. After that also you may continue dreaming, but it will be a lucid dream. The only urgent thing in a dream is to wake up to the fact that it's a dream. But all the pleasurable, tempting things present in the dream... Are they really worth pursuing? No. All the terrifying, anxiety-causing, stress-causing, horrible things in the dream, are they really worth being worried about? No. No. Only from the waking perspective, of course. Yes. So, in from Turiya perspective, all the give and take of the waking world, all the give and take of the dream world, and all the potential give and take in the seed form, in the deep sleep, all of that is as, as if nothing. So this is, 
avyavaharyam it's an explanation of one word which was used in the seventh mantra beyond transactions beyond give and take when do you get this this sounds nice when do you get this tada then when gyanam when you get this knowledge what knowledge aham brahmasmi i am brahman i am the turiyam this knowledge will establish you in the real self atma samstham atma samstham means established in the self but i am already established in the self where else can i be i am me i am i where where what else can i be so i am always established in the self yes but you don't know it you are under uh, you are deluded you think that you are not you are not deuterium you think you are the waker which is has so many problems or the dreamer and so on so atma samstham established in the atman the turiya then what happens then whatever you experience a very beautiful phrase is used ajati samatam gatam everything is ajati that means whatever you experience is the unborn what do you mean unborn unborn is equal to uncaused uncaused means this universe has not come from the turiyam you are the turiyam it's not that the universe has come from the turiyam it is the turiyam you yourself are this everything that you see exactly as you yourself are everything that you experience in a dream everything everybody every good and bad experience every tempting experience every frightening experience that you have in a dream is you yourself you remember the story of the princess of kashi by now you are like no don't tell us any more <laughs> we we know it back to front now we know it Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. No, it is true. Swami Brahmananda used to say to the to the young brahmacharis. He used to say, Swami Brahmananda, my children, give your body to the world; it will destroy you. Give your body and mind to God. Even in body and mind, you will be healthier. You'll be better off. Little, and you'll become enlightened, of course. But that doesn't mean that the body won't get old. It will get old. I have seen monks who are very, very old. I have. The oldest monk I saw was 105 years old. Um, he's still living, and and he says, "My dad lived to 108, and my mother lived to 110. So I'm I'm young yet." <laughs> he is in, he's a tremendous scholar. Um, I studied under him many many years ago. the disciple of swami vigyanananda one of the disciples of sri ramakrishna the last living disciple of swami vigyanananda um atma samstham tada gyanam ajati so the world is the universe is ajati not born which means non dual do you remember non causal non causality is equal to non duality non duality means basically it is you the real you which is appearing as your world samatam gatam and therefore it is one and the same in joy and in misery in success and in failure in the high and in the low it is one and the same what is one and the same you are one and the same the real you from that point of view everything is all right everything is just what american word hunky dory <laughs> from that point of view 
the world, there are a lot of things which are wrong and will continue to be wrong. You need to place, you know, Swami Vivekananda said, this place is a gymnasium. You build up your spiritual muscles here. You do good here. But remember, ultimate, in the ultimate sense, it is all right. And it, it is that Brahman. Samatam Gatam. <coughs> it's difficult to convey the beauty of the Sanskrit phrase. Ajati Samatam Gatam. The unborn, even everywhere. Evenly everywhere. Samatam Gatam. And therefore, the grand conclusion. 39th verse. Asparsha yoga vai nama Asparsha yoga vai nama Durdarsha sarva yogi bhi Durdarsha sarva yogi bhi Yogi no bibhyati yasmat Yogi no bibhyati yasmat Abhaye bhaya darshina Abhaye bhaya darshina Swami Ranganathanji was fond of this verse. He would uh, repeat the first line especially. Asparsha yoga uh, vainama. This knowledge. Here yoga means the knowledge of Brahman. I am Brahman, which makes mind into no mind. So, Asparsha Yoga literally means the knowledge of... Asparsha here refers to Turiya, no contact. No relation, no contact, untouched. So, Asparsha. Sparsha means contact. Eyes are seeing something, contact. Your hands are holding the book, contact. All samsara is born of contact. When the self-contact contacts the non-self. Not nonsense, non-self. Atma, anatma, samsara is born there. If you do not know the atma, if you know the atma, then there is no anatma. If you know the atma, if you know the self, you know that everything is the self itself. So in that case, the so-called contact also will not give rise to samsara. That is the jivan mukta state, the free while living. Just, just like us, walking, talking, eating, but at the same time they know it is all Brahman. So, in samsara like us maybe, but they are asamsari. So, here, asparsha. Brahman is not touched. The rope is not touched by the poison of the snake. Which snake? The false snake attributed to the rope. Shankaracharya says, in the mirage, the water of the mirage, all the water in the mirage cannot wet a grain of the sand of the desert. Why? Why? It's false. There are two distinct levels of presentation. One is the, is the uh, desert itself. In Vedantic terms, it's called Vyavaharika. And the water which appears there, in Vedantic terms, it's called Pratibhasika. An illusory appearance, a presentation. Two levels of reality never come in contact. They are not there together. One is mistaken for the other. Here they are in contact. This book is in contact with my hand. Look. It's in contact with my hand. The book is imposed on my hand. But the snake is superimposed on the rope. Superimposition means what? Not that there are two things, putting one on the other. Rather, one is taken for another. One is mistaken for another. The rope is mistaken as a snake. In that case, if it's a case of superimposition, 
in that case the superimposed object will not affect its foundation, its ground. That's a philosophical way of saying that the snake has no effect on the rope. The mirage water cannot wet the desert and samsara does not touch Brahman. Good for Brahman, I am in trouble. You are Brahman. In your nature as Brahman, if you would realize your nature as Brahman, right here, right now, in the midst of samsara, you are not touched by samsara. Be like living in the middle of a virtual reality. Except that virtual reality is presented to you separately. Here the virtual reality is nothing other than you. You alone appear as your own virtual reality. But again, remember, I am talking about it from the point of view of Turiya, consciousness. I am not saying that you, the person, are imagining this world. That is not Vedanta, is not saying that. That is called subjective idealism. A Berkeleyan idealism, the Buddhist Vijnanavada, the mind-only school says that. But Advaita Vedanta doesn't say that. Advaita Vedanta, you can take it in a very common sense way. Here I am, here is a world separate from me, but the whole thing is experienced in consciousness. I am actually that consciousness. Asparsha. Samsara does not affect you. Disease, yes, disease will affect the body. But like a dream disease affecting the body in the dream, once the dream disease affects the body in the dream, it can no longer be a dream body. I don't know how many of you got the joke. <laughs> so, the body becomes weak and sick and ugly and uh, decaying and dying. And yet it's all in the dream. From the waking point of view, it's nothing to you. So, just like that, this body from the point of view of consciousness, pure consciousness, it's something that's experienced in consciousness. It has no existence apart from consciousness. Its health and its disease, both are experienced in consciousness. Consciousness itself, healthy, very healthy, 100% health. <laughs> uh, and mind, the sorrows of the mind, the failures and frustrations of the mind, the, um, the curiosity, the uh, excitement, the boredom, all of that comes and goes like clouds in this vast blue sky. The sky is unaffected. Consciousness is not affected by the movements of the mind, by the ups and downs of the mind. And when the mind shuts down, the waking world is not experienced, the dream world is not experienced, the darkness of deep sleep, that also appears in the same consciousness. You are the witness of the presence of the mind and you are witness of the absence of mind also. Both are experienced by you and you are not touched. You are not attached. Another name for Asparsha is Asanga. Vedantic monks repeat that Asango ham, Asango ham, Asango ham. I am unattached. As body, you cannot be unattached. You are definitely dependent on the environment. Even if you are living in the Himalayas in a, in a little cottage, still you are dependent. Too cold, you are going to freeze. Yeah. Mm, too hungry, the body is going to starve. So, body is dependent on the environment. Though much less than what we think. We pamper the body no end. And so all our so, so much effort is spent in taking care of the body and serving the body and doing errands for the body. It survives. It's, ultimately it's an animal body. It's meant to survive. So it, it doesn't require too much. The mind also. Yeah. So we run around even more than the body. We run around trying to serve the mind. It's little whims and fancies and a lifetime. Why one lifetime? Many lifetimes go by. Before we awaken to the fact 
or the one I was serving has nothing to do with me. <laughs> All this time. I thought I was that. And therefore I was running around trying to fulfill all its whims. First it will tell you that, oh, uh, I want uh, this good food and friends and partying. Uh, after some time that leads to unhappiness and dissatisfaction. Mind is very clever. Mind says, oh, right, right, it is uh, uh, not, not giving you satisfaction. Good, good. No, let's clean up your life. No more partying and, and uh, eating and drinking. Now there'll be only yoga and there'll be healthy food and meditation in the morning, meditation in the evening. Uh, and so your life becomes better, definitely. So then that carries on, maybe a couple of lifetimes. But is this all there is to it? Then the mind says, no, 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 there's something more. There's something called Vedanta. I'll give you Vedanta. Come, attend the classes. I will talk to you about waking, dreaming, deep sleep. I will explain it all to you. And then you see how you are beyond everything. So that also might find, even that, even that you don't need actually. Don't go away from the class. <laughs> if you know yourself as the Atman, you don't even need this. This is the final show put up by the mind. Spirituality and enlightenment. Because once you attain it, you realize you did not need any of it at any time. Neither the things of the world. Worldliness is overcome by unworldliness. Spirituality is necessary to overcome materialism, materiality. And then you realize beyond spirituality, you are the spirit. How can you make the spirit more spiritual? <laughs> so that's what happens. Asanga. What are you attached to? I think I told the story of the monk. He was a great monk, in, a founder of a big ashram in India. I read his life. He was a householder. Then he renounced the world, a traditional way, and became a wandering monk. One day, depressed, he was sitting in a, in a forest in the mountains just outside a village. And this old woman who was collecting wood said, Baba, why are you so sad? And uh, this monk replied, Oh, um, I'm... Um, unhappy because of you know attachment, worldly attachment. And she says, what are you attached to? Are you attached to your wife? She says, no, she died. Are you attached to your children? No, they grew up and went away. Are you attached to your house and property? No, I sold it off and gave away the money. Look, what are you attached to? They've all come and gone. And one day this body also, very soon it will go away. What are you attached to? None of them. Your wife, children, property, body, none of them ever said, I belong to you, really. So you, can, you are the one who is trying to hold on and saying, mine. But it's not yours. It will go away one day and all disappear. So, unattached. Every day this lesson is taught to us. Every day. This whole life which we clutch. My property, my people, my family. And even more than that, my problems. Yeah, we, we, we think we hate our problems. Oh no, we don't. We love them more than all the good things in life. You define yourself by your problems, unfortunately. You define yourself by your friends and even more so by your enemies. <laughs> so, there's a story about Picasso. I was reading. He said some very nasty things about a, a critic who had criticized him, but not much. But he said some very nasty things about that art critic. And... Uh, his understudy or somebody told Picasso that why did you say such things about uh, this person? He has not done any harm to you. He really has not criticized you. No? 
And Picasso said, ah, but you don't know. To do great work, you need great enemies. <laughs> He's creating an enemy. So that <laughs> Anyway, don't do that. Don't do that. It's easy to lose friends. Very difficult to lose enemies. You make an enemy, you'll remain an enemy for a very long time. So, not so easy. So, don't make enemies. Now, I'll come to you. Hold on. So, we define ourselves by friends and enemies and... And this whole world, which you call my life, with its grand, big P, problems, and small P, prospects, <laughs> hopes and fears, hopes and fears. I'm, why are you hanging on? Because of prospect. Well, I should tell you the story of the prospect. It's Swami Gahanandaji, who was a vice president of our order, president of our order, finally, but he told the story to us when we were novices, he was a vice president. One of the no, most serene, this word Suprashanta, absolutely serene. I have seen him. Uh, he, why it's important is, he was, the, uh, he was the head of some of our most problematic centers. A hospital in Calcutta at the height of communist, uh, uh, you know, uh, troublemaking, trade unionism and all of that. A lot of problems. And we were targeted because we are a religious organization. And the communists who later on became very good friends with us. But uh, to begin with, they thought a religious organization. Ah, the first target. Let's. So this Swami was in charge. And Gherao, you know, if you're from India, you know what's like, what a Gherao is. The um, uh, workers will, will, will surround you if you are in management position. And not let you out of your office until the demands are fulfilled. So... Uh, and so many problems, yelled at and abused. I think somebody threw hot water on him once and what not. Uh, he was the head of the institution. And all throughout, he retained this tremendous serenity and calmness. Don't be eager, too eager about the question. There's a story coming, but don't forget your question. I'm holding my <laughs> I know. I know. My <laughs> so um, I'm taking the scenic route, but because actually I have time, I don't want. I don't want to go on to the next topic. This is a different topic altogether. Anyway, but this Swami is, was so serene all throughout, and that was long before I ever saw him. That was before my. I became a monk. Um, many stories about him. And later he became the president of the order. Later he became an assistant secretary of the order and the general secretary of this big international order. So you can imagine how many issues and problems he had to deal with. But everybody all throughout, nobody ever, nobody ever, this is an am amazing thing. Monks who have known him for 50, 60, 70 years, nobody ever has a story of him losing his temper. Ever. And I have seen him myself. The few times I was close to him, always centered, somewhere deep inside. People, people, they recognized it. That he has found something. He's deeply inward somewhere. I still remember the first time I saw him. I was a little kid, and uh, he had come to the ashram, the monastery in the city where I grew up. I just knew a big Swami had come, that's all. At that time, I think he was uh, uh, the general secretary of the order or something like that. 
And as a kid, you're not supposed to go up to the room of the Swami there in the monastery. So everybody was waiting downstairs, all the grown-ups. As I was a kid, I was running up and down here and there. So I, I, once I ran up the stairs and straight barged into his room because there was nobody. And everybody was downstairs waiting for him to come down and give a talk. <laughs> I didn't know what, it, what was going on. I, I still remember. This was, I don't know how many years ago, 40 years ago. Uh, I barged into his room and I still remember his, his, he was just getting ready, putting on his uh, chadar and getting ready to come downstairs to give the talk. Absolutely unperturbed. Suddenly a little kid rushes into your room and he just, he just said this. Hmm. <laughs> and then gently he took me down with him downstairs. We walked down together. <laughs> So he would tell this story, uh, one of the stories, he had made these little stories. He, he, would, he wouldn't speak much, a few things. People thought that he was, well, he was not particularly a great speaker, he was not particularly, he wouldn't say very philosophical things, just a few words all the time, little stories, few words. For example, I remember that when I became a monk, a novice, he had come to visit our ashram. By that time, he was the vice president of the order. So at night, the whole day was spent in initiating devotees. At night, he called the youngsters who had come to become monks. He called us around him. And that also I remember. Of course, he wouldn't remember me as a little kid who barged into his room. But I was sitting at his feet and the other monks were there. So Swami Gahanandaji, he asked us, each one of us, why did you, come, why did you become a monk? Why did you become a monk? Each so we all said what we could. Um, somebody said, I want peace. Somebody said, I want to to uh, dedicate my mind. I, I want to lead a noble and good life. Um, I want to realize God. These are the things which we all said. And his only answer was, everybody wants, wants to get something. Nobody wants to give. Nobody wants to give. And that's all he said. Now that didn't appeal to me because I thought, yes, we are new, newcomers, we are youngsters, so we have come here to learn. We need to be trained and we need to learn and so, so much to learn and become, um, you know, grow in spiritual life. What can we give? But later on I realized the entire philosophy, especially of uh, Karma Yoga, is in that little seed. It's an attitude. It's not a question of I'll be ready one day to become a saintly person, then I can give. No, no, no. Whatever you wanted... His basic answer, and understood, what I understood was, whatever you wanted, peace of mind, a noble life, God-realization, all of that comes from this little seed, making the change in your attitude. From I want this or I want that. You see, from Vedantic perspective also, if I get that meditation, I'll be alright. Who is saying that? Pure consciousness, Brahman. Isn't it delusion? If I get that mystic experience, then I will be alright. If I get a vision of God, then I'll be alright. Who is saying that? God. <laughs> so there is a delusion there. It's perfectly understandable what we said, but very deep answer. That's how he would talk. So all this is background for the prospect story, <laughs> which is a very silly little story, but very typical of the stories he would tell. He said that there was once a circus and there was a, a donkey, an ass, which worked in the circus. And he is not one of the glamorous animals, not like the tigers and bears and lions, you know, who elephants who would perform in the ring. It's just a donkey, an ass, a very humble creature. 
and uh, his master would make him work hard, would underfeed him, and once in a while would, would whip him, and he suffered terribly, but he hung on. He didn't run away from the, uh, from the circus. One day, one of the other animals, maybe it was a horse or somebody, one of the you know, more prestigious animals said, Hey, you lead such a miserable life. Why do you hang around? Just run away. Get away from this place. They treat you so badly here. And the donkey said, Ah, but you don't know. I know, things are very bad now, but I have a prospect. A prospect? What prospect? Well, didn't you notice a few weeks ago when, um, whenever the ring owner, the, the, the circus master's daughter, she works on the trapeze and she trains. Her father is there and he's a very harsh and stern taskmaster. So she trains and every time she makes a mistake, uh, her father curses her and says that, you fool, you, I'll, I'll, next time you make a mistake, I'll marry you off to that donkey there. <laughs> so the donkey says, look, there is some hope, you know. <laughs> Things might get better. And the Swami said, after telling us, he looked at us. Same expression, serene expression with a slight smile. If you see the pictures, you will see. There's always a slight smile playing on his lips. Slightest of smiles. He looked at us and he, I still remember, he said, such is samsara. <laughs> I have some prospect. All of this, it disappears. This whole thing, including its prospect also. It disappears every day when you fall asleep and the dream world comes. An entire world, what you call your life, totally disappears. You can't catch hold of it. It will not remain. It will go away. And the world of your dreams appears. And that too goes away. With its problems and prospects. And then deep sleep, blank, nothingness, darkness. And again that goes away. And again this world comes back with its problems and prospects. What is attached to you? What is attached to you? What can you call your own? One Swami put it very beautifully. He said, have you seen those rays of light? He said, the rays of light which come into your huts in the morning, O monks. Like a beam of light. And little motes of dust float about there. The universe floats in the light of your awareness. Like the motes of dust in the morning beam of sunshine. This is the universe which floats there. What are you seeking in it? What will, what will stay with you? What will it give you? It cannot. It's your joy. It's, they, they say vilasa, chid vilasa, they say. Vilasa, play of your consciousness alone. It's, it's leela, it's bliss when you realize that. But when you identify yourself with one mote of dust, wanting another mote of dust, then the problem starts, samsara starts. Nothing is attached to you. Think about it. You say, our attachment, our attachment. Oh, it's all right, you are a monk. But I am a um, person in samsara. I have many problems and prospects. Yeah, so, <laughs> take the case of the most serious samsaric. I still remember that you have a question. Yes. And I'm glad you remember too. <laughs> take the case of the most serious. I'll end with this. Take the case of the most serious, intense samsaric attachment. A young mother with her baby. Most intense attachment. 
And yet, and these examples I'm not giving. I heard it from a monk in Uttarakhand, in the Himalayas. Yet when she falls asleep finally every night, she happily goes into deep sleep, letting go mentally from her mind of the most valuable thing to her in the whole samsara. And how? Happily. Happily. What will happen to the baby when I'm asleep? Till the last moment might think that, but that does not prevent her from going into sleep happily and letting go of the entire samsara, including that most precious baby too. So we are, you are already asanga. Just note the fact. Nothing sticks to you. You are asanga. This is called asparsha. Realizing that is called asparsha yoga. All right. Oh yes, monks, um, if they did not struggle, then all would be enlightened. Then now you'll ask, aren't, aren't they all enlightened? No, I wish they were. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a long process. So, um, in fact, in some ways, you take the plunge and then the struggle really begins. You're beginning to walk on the path, not just theoretically. Yes. No, yes, but, but remember, what is he depressed about? Not, not depressed about money or not because I'm not getting this or getting that. Why have I not transcended that yet? Which is a great thing to be depressed about. Sri Ramakrishna, if you say every day he is crying because I have not seen God, would you say, oh, severe depression? Prozac. <laughs> You'll forget God. No. That kind of depression is the holiest kind of thing in the world. That's one step away from enlightenment. Our mentor, when we became monks, our mentor told us, the Swami under whom we joined, three types of people come here in the initial days of our monastic life. He's talking about monks. He said three types of people come here to be monks. One is... Those who come with enthusiasm, I will attain enlightenment, God-realization, and find a conducive environment. All the pressures of samsara are removed. And the more you do spiritual practice, everybody is happier. This is meant for that. Their vairagya, dispassion for the world, and their desire for God-realization, mumukshutvam, desire for freedom, that blazes even higher. And they, they strive. These are the ones who become the few saints we know of. They are few in number. They have come with all desire for God-realization, for, for this, the great aspiration, um, calling for, for God. And when they come to the monastery, that redoubles, the enthusiasm grows, because they have found a perfect place for that. So that's one group. That's at, you know, the bell curve? So that's at one end of the bell curve, far end. On this end, closer to the origin is just the opposite. They have come here with a good intention, but the moment they enter into this monastery, they find intentions are here. But it's not intentions which will drag you out of bed at 3.40 a.m. in the morning. It's not intentions which will keep you meditating even in the worst heat or cold. And so on. And working, and obedient, and giving up every pers possible personal ambition. Not just intentions alone. The mind has to be ready for it. The body has to be ready for it. Especially the mind has to be ready for it. And these people at this end of the 
bell curve define resistance. So there are a few who will find life difficult in a monastery. It shouldn't su surprise you. In every field, you will find people define it difficult. So these are the ones who you will who will cause who are the troublemakers, who are the misfits, who find everything difficult. Getting in, getting up early in the morning, oh, it's so difficult. Then meditating, I fall asleep. Classes are so boring, and so <laughs> work. No, I don't want this work. I want to do that work. And so, all of that is unspiritual. But that feeling is there inside. What can they do? Interesting thing that they have come here for the for the for with the highest goal, the same goal as the other group, with the same intention. But the result is there's a huge difference. So these people, they either drop out, and they are the ones who cause disciplinary problems in the monastery, they drop out, or they hang on, they struggle. And it's good that they hang on, everybody must struggle. I, told, I think I told you the story, or somewhere I told, of a monk who struggled like that. And in his old age, he would often mumble that I made a mistake, I shouldn't have become a monk. And then somebody told him, well then go, ba go back, and you don't have to be a monk. He said, what? I made a mistake by becoming a monk and uh, you are asking me to make a greater mistake by going back. <laughs> no, I'll stay here and struggle. And that's right, that's the spirit. So that's also a small group at this end of the bell curve. The point of telling this story to us was, this one monk told us, most of us, he said, all of us gathered here, we are in the middle, square in the middle of the bell curve. So we, we have the the uh, purity of mind, the noble intentions, the discipline, so that we don't struggle here. It's okay. But we don't have that kind of purity of mind, that kind of uh, one-pointed aspiration that we become like those people who, are, who excel in spiritual life. We are somewhere square in the middle. Life is good, nice. Yeah, he would joke. A little meditation, a little cup of tea, and a little work, and a little... <laughs> and before you know it, 60 years are gone. Spiritual progress? Nothing. <laughs> then he said, what we should do, and he told us, because of our good karma, he told us, because of your good karma, you all, you all youngsters, you have come here. Your good karma, by the blessings of God, by the blessings of your guru, you have got this chance. But that is a limited thing. It will run out very fast. You must work hard now. You must make an effort now. Even if the effort doesn't come to you so easily, you must make an effort now so that you build up that storehouse of good karma, which will, which will power you through for the rest of your life. Anyhow, that was. Uh, I think that's true of everybody in spiritual life, not just uh, monks. So this is... All right, now let me complete the rest of this verse. This is, I, just, I was just explaining Asparsha Yoga, this word Asparsha Yoga. So what is Asparsha Yoga? Asparsha means Turiya, Yoga means the knowledge of Turiya, I am the Turiya, I am Brahman. Asparsha Yoga is just a new coinage or a very old coinage of Gaudapada for same Advaita Vedanta. Advaita Vedanta, non-dual Vedanta, Gaudapada's name for it is Asparsha Yoga. Then he says something interesting. Durdarsha sarva yogi bhihi. Very difficult to attain by most other yogis. What, what other yogis are they referring to? Shankaracharya explains. He says, sarva yogi bhihi, 
वेदांत विहित विज्ञान रहिते ही सर्वयोगी भी दोज हु आर डिवाइड ऑफ दिस नॉलेज ऑफ वेदांत दे आर ट्राइंग इन देयर ओन वेज दे आर ट्राइंग सम काइंड ऑफ मेडिटेशन सम काइंड ऑफ प्रेयर सम काइंड ऑफ टेक्निक दे हैव गॉट हियर एंड देयर देयर इज एंडलेस द सुपर मार्केट ऑफ स्पिरिचुअलिटी इफ यू गो ऑन यूट्यूब यू विल फाइंड ए टू जी एवरीथिंग इज अवेलेबल बट दोज हु डू नॉट हैव दिस नॉन डुअल टीचिंग for them he says it's very difficult to attain what happens to them yogino bibhyati hasmad abhay bhayadarshinah <laughs> these did we chant this verse yes those yogis they are terrified of this teaching the the teaching which is supposed to take you beyond fear the yogis are afraid of this teaching that which will make you fearless they be they are terrified of this teaching why why because if you look at it this way no relation no contact asparsha beyond body beyond mind we think our real life is this here it is even dreams we don't we don't consider that real beyond that deep sleep we consider it that nothing if you're talking about something beyond that is it's like reduced being reduced to zero being reduced to nothing from their point of view from the physical body point of view shankaracharya here says atmanasha rupam imam yogam manyamana bhayam kurvanti they think i will be destroyed if i practice this i'll be reduced to nothingness not nothingness it's infinitude if the ornament realizes you are not a bangle you are not a necklace you are um, not a tiara you are gold now if person the ornament does not understand what gold is and thinks i am happy as a tiara i i just want to be a better tiara and if you are told you are gold i'm not a tiara then i'm i'm lost i'm gone i'm nothing then no you are the reality which appeared as the tiara you want to ask something yeah so this is i think a real fear for beginners right the orientation if it's not proper you will immediately feel yes we think of what is our general idea of happiness that that's why advaita vedanta is simpler than the simplest and yet it can be terrifying and most difficult it might be easy as a philosophy but people don't want to touch it why relationship our whole thing is i am this body mind therefore my security my happiness depends on this world on relationships father mother husband wife children uh, employer employee um, owner owned not just human beings from relationship from um, god to dog all those they are all based on relationships and hence my happiness is based on this and what i would prefer is you know not what you are telling me that something beyond all relationships asparsha means beyond all relationships with what will the infinite have relations with what will the infinite have relations with what will the non dual have relations with literally the non dual not two how can you have relations in the not two you require at least two for a relationship so when it's beyond all relationships it is scary why our idea of happiness is i want a better version of this one i want a better version of this one same 
husband, wife, father, mother, children, except they are mean to me here, there in heaven, God will make sure that they are nice to me. And so it will be nice. It is just this one in another name and form. In Hindus, in Hinduism and Buddhism, you have various grades of heaven, swarga. None of them are very spiritual. They're just, if you have a lot of good karma, you go to a better place. It's still a place. You're still an individual and there are better things. You move to a better neighborhood, that's all. Better school district, huh? <laughs> that's all. And most people somewhere within, they feel that is good. That's what we want. This is far beyond that. If you want that, the Vedas say, go back to Karmakanda, where by various um, rituals and religious life and ritualistic life, you are assured of good karma. After death, you will go to a heaven where things are much better for a while. And then you come back again. But if you want reality, if you want truth, if you want moksha, transcending all of this, Swami Vivekananda put it very clearly, bodilessness must be the ideal. B having a body is being, being uh, limited. Uh, limited. The infinite is limited within a body. Right? So bodilessness must be the ideal. Body cannot be the ideal. What we do is better body. Better body, I, just mean, I don't mean just physical body. Better circumstances. All circumstances are samsara. Beyond all these circumstances, underlying all of them is um, the reality. And the reality is manifested through the circumstances. You can still know the reality and be in this world, be in a body also. But then you'll be called liberated while living, Jivan Mukta. So that is what. That's why it's terrifying. So there are different categories. The most gross kind of category who might turn up, they are not at all touched by Vedanta. They say, what are you talking about? I need peace in the family, I need health in the family, I need my monetary problems are there and there are social and community problems. And here you are talking about waker, dreamer, deep sleeper. <laughs> I want basically better prospects in society. You know the prospect story. <laughs> so that, that kind of mentality is completely untouched by Vedanta. For that there are other things on offer. For that kind of mentality, there are other things on offer. A Vedanta teacher will say, go to that person. They'll all sit on the trees, you know. That fellow who's sitting under that tree. And so you go there, that person goes, and this pers uh, person sitting under the tree, comes, come, come, tell me your problem. All right, so such and such problem. This stone you put on, on your ring, and <laughs> this mantra you repeat, and you have to pacify Shani, Saturn. In it, 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 <laughs> so that kind of treatment is necessary for this person. That person will think, ah, something practical. That useless fellow... Talking about waker, dreamer, deep sleeper, Turiya just bored me, no end. So that kind of mind is not at all touched by Vedanta. The next level of mind, hold on to your question, next level of mind which understands what Vedanta is saying, which has a spiritual inclination, but finds Vedanta dry or even scary. Genuinely spiritual, but finds Vedanta scary or dry. Because they want a spirituality based on relationship, contact, sparsha. Nothing wrong in that. Their bhakti works very well. Devotion works very well. I am Brahman, very difficult for you to say. Alright, take Brahman as your Krishna or your Christ or your Narayana as God in heaven. 
and now establish a relationship with God. It will work. Your problem is because of your relationship with the world. You replace this relationship with the world with relationship with God, it will save you. Yes, ultimately it will. Gaudapada would sniff at it, but we'll leave Gaudapada to, to himself now. It will, it will liberate you, definitely. Definitely. Won't Bhakti liberate you? Of course it will. And in the, in the Gita, Krishna says, if this, the knowledge is what you want, I will give you knowledge. Those who are, have one-pointed devotion unto me. You see, you want to get rid of crooks. You're being tr- troubled by crooks. One way is, instead of trying to fight with them yourself, make friends with the police. Hang around with the police. The crooks will step away from you. <laughs> the world is giving you problems. The world is, um, relationship is giving. <coughs> Remember, all of this is at the mental level, not physically. Worldly, um, world is giving you problems. Establish a relationship with God. Internally. The problem is internal, solution is also internal. So, my whole orientation becomes, I love God in this form. This is my Lord. I worship God, I I have faith in God, I hold on to God, I refer all problems to God. Samsara is secondary for me, God is primary. Almost all the problems of samsara will disappear there. By a relationship, a divine relationship replaces a samsari relationship. But that's outside the scope of this. Here he says, asanga, asparsha yoga, give up all relationships, because the truth is beyond relationships. Yes, Uh, I'll come to you. Ayan Maharaj, yes. That comes later after this. So in that, but there is, uh, even even the Vignan, Vignan reaches a point of non-duality. Yes. So wouldn't they converge? Um, Sri Ramakrishna would say, the Vignani comes after non-duality. After you realize don't, uh, that I am Turiyam, then you realize all of this is also Turiyam. That is Vignan. Actually, yes. It's good that you've got it. Correct. That's my view. Now you only have to con- um, uh, convince Ayan Maharaj. <laughs> That's my view too. Actually, you know, the way Advaita Vedanta is presented, Brahma Satyam Jagat Mithya Jiva Brahmi Vanapara, that's just the first step of Advaita Vedanta. This Jagat is also, the world is also nothing other than Brahman. So, from there to Vijnana Vedanta is one step and I have seen many teachers of Advaita Vedanta, especially the mature ones who um, teach Advaita Vedanta. What they are saying and what Vijnana Vedanta Ayanmaj was talking about, there is not much difference. There are some other differences but there is not much difference there, ultimately. There are some differences like um, Gaudapada or Shankaracharya would have a very hierarchical approach to it. Karma Yoga gives you purity of mind. Worship of God and uh, meditation gives you concentration of mind. After that, come to Mandukya, it will give you knowledge which will liberate you. No, by Karma Yoga I can get knowledge, liberation? No, no, no. They will have a very hierarchical approach to it. Whereas, Sri Ramakrishna's approach was very universal. Yes, it's not that you have to do Bhakti and Karma and then finally come to Vedanta class and then you get liberation. No, no. Look at the lives of the saints of different... uh, periods of history in different world parts of the world. How many of them turned up for the Mandukya class? <laughs> so you can. He simply said with his sincerity and intensity, whichever path you take up, 
you will read. So this is some speciality of Vijnana Vedanta, which a classical non-dualist would would um, turn his nose up at. <laughs> but uh, so uh, these are and there are other other aspects also. But ultimately, it is the same thing. I agree with you. I agree with you. Yes. Isn't that a prerequisite? Yes. Prerequisites are four. Viveka, Vairagya, Shabadamadi, Shatsampati, Mumukshutvam. Viveka, the, the discernment of the eternal and non-eternal. You should finally move from replace, replacing discrimination by discernment. All the old Swamis translated Viveka as discrimination between the eternal. Discrimination is a bad word now. So somebody suggested discernment. I think it's a very fine word. And actually that's what Viveka means. Discernment between the eternal and non-eternal. One requisite. Second is what you said. Dispassion. Intense dispassion. Don't get me wrong on that. No, no, but this is, to me that's the most important one. Right. No, I'm, I'm not telling you. I'm telling everybody. Don't get me wrong on that. That, that will become the real stumbling block when... Uh, uh, one be begins to get a clear understanding. We'll see next what will come, the next topic. So uh, deep dispassion for the... If, think about it. If you are convinced, if this seems logical to you, if you are convinced that this is an appearance, it's like a dream, there's nothing worth pursuing here separately. Only thing worth pursuing is awakening. After that, why would you keep pursuing it? Why would you keep chasing things? You might, for the sake of the world, the life you are leading, but they would not be, it would not be uh, with the idea that this will fulfill me. You know it won't. So, if you have a job, Arjuna had a job, he had to do the job. You have a station in life, you have to fulfill your duties. Fine. But the whole orientation will be, how do I wake up then? That, that should be the uh, orientation. That is, that is dispassion. Not really, not really. Two things. One is, dispassion and depression are different. Dispassion and, uh, yeah, but this, yes, dispassion is not that I have, oh no, everything's boring and awful. That's not dispassion, that's depression. I have a body. See, I have a body and a life and a mind. Let it do its thing. If I don't do this thing, what thing will I do? Something else. In this thing also enlightenment is possible. That's what Gaudapada's teaching is and Krishna's teaching to Arjuna is in the Gita. In every sphere of life, unless it's absolutely immoral. Otherwise, it's, enlightenment is possible. You don't, everybody doesn't have to become a monk. You have to become monk-like inside. That is true. Does everybody have to become a monk? Yes and no. Yes on the inside. No on the outside. On the outside, you may be whatever you are. That is your karma. I like that story about the lady who came to Ramana Maharshi and asked, uh, do you have to become a monk to become enlightened? He said, no mother, you don't have to. And then she said sharply, then why are you sitting in a cave wearing a loincloth? And he, sa he said, that is my karma mother, your karma is to be a housewife in a kitchen, but both of us can become enlightened. When you are a monk, internally, definitely easier. True. But here also, you see, that's why people are afraid of becoming a monk. Uh, let me say, talk about this. Why? Because of this very philosophy. Uh, Asparsha yoga, no relationship. Literally a monk is 
No father, mother, husband, wife, children. Uh, no relationship means how can you live in the world without any relationship? For a monk, every, with everybody, the monk has the same relationship. All are embodiments of Brahman to me. All of us. That's the one relationship you have with everybody. Yes, for practical purposes, you may have a relationship with your guru, your spiritual master. But then they're all embodiments of Brahman. No special relationship. Not only with people. No money. No possessions. No house. I say, Swami, you own a whole brownstone. I don't own one brick of this place. <laughs> so, no possessions. And people get scared. Then how does one become happy then? Because happiness comes from people, money, possessions, relationships, status in society. No status in society. That's what a monk is. One, um, I remember the story of a monk who met his friend 20 years after he became a monk. His friend had gone on in the world and become a rich and powerful person. And so they, they met. And his friend said, look, this is what I've done. The monk said, oh, you've earned so much money and a house and wife and children. So this is what you have. And the friend said, yes, so this is my success. What have you done? And the monk said, I have none of that. That's my success. But that, that's what scares people. It should not. That's what Gaudapada is, is pointing out. Abhaye bhaya darshina. Those who see fear in the fearless. There is actually fear in samsara. You are afraid for yourself and then you multiply it. When you get married, have children, you get multiplied. That Swami, he came uh, that day. Very nice. He said, buy one, get one free. <laughs> that is the very nature of uh, samsara. Buy one, get one free. <laughs> Buy what? Try to get one happiness, you'll get one, one suffering free. Or more than one usually. <laughs> Lot of free stuff in the world. That's why people are afraid of sannyasa, of monastic life. And people make a mistake. Even those who admire sannyasa, the monks. I don't want to be a monk myself, but I admire monks. They admire it for the wrong reason. Why? They, I'll tell you why. Many people think like that. They come and say, oh Swami, what a great sacrifice. Oh, what an ideal life. What a great sacrifice. You are wrong. If you actually inquire, any genuine monk will never feel that I made a great sacrifice. Anybody who thinks that I am making great sacrifices will have great struggles. I wouldn't do those things if you paid me to do it. No. So, it's, it's not that it's a great struggle for a person to become a monk by leaving all those things and then staying. Uh, Swami Brahmananda was there, the president of the order in Belurmat. So a devotee comes and bows down to him. Swami, you, uh, you are worthy of our reverence. He said, why? I bow down to you. You have given up the world for God. And the Swami evidently bowed even lower to the man. I bow down to you. You have given up God for the world. <laughs> Your sacrifice is far greater. Whose sacrifice is greater? One who throws away a few pieces of glass to get diamonds or one who throws away the diamonds to get a few pieces of glass? So, Bhayadarshina. People are afraid of, of monastic life. Are afraid of sannyasa. Who else what, had questions? Yes. Shamiji, do you think that is why one day I saw the Buddhist people at museum made mandal perfect. 
Then I say, how could you make this so puffy? But you don't take the, when we admire them, they say, oh, it is in the name of Buddha, Nishkam Karma. They work so perfect, but they are so happy. And, and no, they don't want. And do you know what they do after that? They destroy it. They destroy it. Yeah, I, they, a group of Tibetan monks had come to Los Angeles and in the uh, in a cathedral there. Uh, so they made the mandala. So over a period of seven or eight days, several hours per day, and uh, and we used to go and see. And the pictures were taken at every stage. And then finally, they it's all made of colored sand, and finally they wipe it all out. And that is the nature of this world. I often think when I'm walking in Central Park, I see those people blowing bubbles, iridescent bubbles in the uh, uh, air and children laugh at it and run after it. We're exactly like that. This, this world is our bubble. Nice and shiny, we run after it and then it pops. Yes. What is your defense if somebody says it's an escapism to be a monarch? I won't defend it. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I won't defend. Go your own way, Baba. <laughs> you have prospect. I don't have prospects. <laughs> yes. Um, you mentioned there were four requirements for liberation. Did they mention the role of shraddha or faith in any of this as a kind of faith? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. The viveka vairagya samadhamadi shat sampatti. So the six, fold, six treasures, so Shama, control of the mind, Dhamma, control of the ten organs, um, then Titiksha, spiritual fortitude, then Samadhana, uh, this um, concentration, um, Uparati, withdrawal, actually Uparati comes first, withdrawal from um, you know, too much engagement in sensual pursuits. So withdrawal from sensual pursuits. And then what has been withdrawn, that should be concentrated, focused, settle down. Settle down on your Vedanta. So, Samadhana. And then Shraddha. Guru Shastra Vakya. What is taught by the Guru, what is taught in the Mandukya, a working faith in it. It's the difference between a working faith and um, a faith on which you whole religious life is based on belief. That's a different thing. And this Shraddha is a working faith. Believe in it that there's something worth uh, understanding here. Proceed and you will get it. I've told you the funny story of in Vrindavan which is the place, which is not the place for Mandukya, but anyway, is a place for Krishna and Radha and the love of Krishna. And so this Vaishnava Babaji, Vaishnava monk, and very austere. If you go to a place like um, Raman Rath, there are ashrams there, um, huts in which monks stay 10, 12, 15 years. Tiny hut, the whole hut will be around this much. And there a monk stays for 10, 12, 15, 20 years in meditation. Um, so one Babaji, Babaji is a Vaishnava monk, a Vaishnava monk. So they are on the path of devotion. He came to a Vedanta teacher who was teaching uh, Mandukya. And he said, uh, I, that's a faith-based thing, you know, belief and emotion. No, the, you have got the right path. It's all logic and reason. Please teach me. I, I want to change, change tracks. So he started. First, you need the fourfold qualification, Viveka, Vairagya, very good, very good. Sama, Dhamma, um, then Titiksha, Uparati, Samadhana, Shraddha, faith. And then he said, What? Faith, here too. And the, the, so, and, and then he said in Hindi, To mere Giridhar Gopal kya dosh kiye the? 
my my beloved Krishna, what what fault has, has my beloved Krishna got? Then I'm going. He slammed the book shut and, and he stomped off in a huff. He said, "If it's faith you need, then I I was on the path of faith anyway." So, no, that's different. That's faith A to Z. Here it's faith to begin off. Like, like you go to Columbia University and sign up for a class. You must have some faith. The professor is not lying to you. The textbooks are, uh, have something what maybe I don't get it now. But if I hold on, I'll get something out of it. Yeah. What will happen now? Um, till now, from verse number 31 to 39, no mind was taught. What is no mind? The enlightened mind. <coughs> when you persist in this enlightened mind, how do you get this? Shravana manana nididhyasana by hearing the truth, by thinking about it, uh, reasoning about it, and staying with it, which is nididhyasana. And staying with it is this no mind. So this is a kind of meditation which is possible with open eyes, as you must have gotten by now. No mind is not stopping thinking. But here is a big but. What happens now is it will not work for everybody. In fact, it will it won't work for most people. It's not so easy. And so now what Gaudapada is going to start on is, for most seekers, a course of actual sitting, closed eye meditation, samadhi is necessary. So Nididhyasana, same Vedantic Nididhyasana, now he's going to prescribe the yogic samadhi, the sitting, eyes closed meditation. Eyes open Nididhyasana, no mind, over. But to attain the same state, if it's not working for you, if it still feels theoretical, if it still feels that it is not giving the the advertised results my sorrow is overcome i shall i'm attaining bliss no i understand if you're stuck at that that i understand and i'm convinced this is very clever this is very interesting this is very direct and it has many benefits i've heard so many people from different angles you know just um, a couple of days ago one young person was telling me that he one thing he finds now is just by listening to Advaita Vedanta, a kind of clarity and standards have been set up. So when he says opens up YouTube and the whole uh, panorama of spiritual practices are presented before him, he clearly knows he can separate the, the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. He knows what's what, uh, what is serious, what is worthwhile and what is just um, uh, should be discarded or ignored. So when you have reached the top of the mountain you know where is what uh, that's one benefit but still you don't feel that you are an enlightened person you don't feel that you're a jivan mukta you really honestly cannot claim i am brahman i understand i am brahman and i know all the reasons for that i know all the verses and teachings but it doesn't feel very honest to say i am brahman I still feel I am Swami Sarva Priyananda. And I still react to life as if I am Swami Sarva Priyananda. Still my problems are not resolved. What do I do? So the knowledge which you have got, the knowledge for which clarity has come, conviction has come, that must become a living reality. And that living reality is not happening with the no mind kind of teaching. So now, um, Vedantic meditation will take the form of closed eye meditation, the classic meditation which we are familiar with. Totapuri, it tells Sri Ramakrishna to sit down and meditate. But that's like throughout the day, 24 hours a day. <laughs> so intensive course of meditation until it becomes an undeniable truth. 
what we'll teach now is samadhi as we understand samadhi savikalpa samadhi nirvikalpa samadhi all those things he will talk about all right om shanti 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna rupanam astu